Good morning to you all. Uh, thank you, Josiah, and thanks for mentioning Rooted as well. I'm just going to have to say something. Rooted is coming back in the fall. We're actually starting at late summer, August 25th. If you've not been a part of Rooted, you need to register for it. There's no better way to get connected uh, to folks here as well as to understand your life purpose than going through Rooted. So registration will start in just a few weeks. You can keep your eye out for that. So again, good morning. Welcome, everybody. Happy Independence Day. I want to welcome those that are uh, viewing online. I know I got a, we got a note from Dr. Trent that he's watching online this morning from where he and his family are. So uh, welcome to those online and, and everyone that's here. Uh, it was such an interesting week for me to look back at uh, July 4th. And it's one of my favorite holidays between this and Thanksgiving. I really enjoy it. Now, July 4th is special to me because it's warm weather, and I love warm weather. I love the summer. And, uh, but I was looking back at, at, uh, at, at history. And, of course, the Declaration of Independence was adopted in 1776. But it was interesting to note that actually starting in 1777, they started to celebrate it even while the war was going on. And, and on seven, July 4th, 1777, they had bonfires, they had parades, they had concerts. Uh, they actually got together as family. They had special meals. They also had fireworks. Now, their fireworks were cannons and muskets, including a 13-cannon salute. Now, that's what I call fireworks. Okay, so they, they started those traditions back, in and they, back then, and they've held true to today. I don't know if anybody there at that time has the same feeling I do at about 10 o'clock on July 4th when I'm trying to go to bed and my neighbors are still illegally firing fireworks, and I want to go to sleep, but that may have happened. There may have been a loose cannon or two. Remembrances and celebrations have been a part of, in the past and are today, a part of God's way of working in our lives. If we look back at how he worked with Israel... Uh, ancient Israel, uh, he set aside a Sabbath day for them each week. He also set aside seven holy days that they were to keep each year. And those days were set aside to remember certain things, but he also involved physical elements to that to help them remember. If you look at uh, the Feast of Trumpets as an example, as you might guess, trumpets were involved in that. They, they would blow trumpets. The Day of Atonement, they would fast. So it was a 24-hour fast, no food, no water, no, nothing except going to a worship service. That day was set aside as a Sabbath. Also, the, the Feast of Tabernacles. For eight days, they would dwell in a temporary dwelling. They called them booths or tabernacles that they would build, and they would live there as a symbol of the, the time that they were wandering in the wilderness. If we look at the Passover and the Days of Unleavened Bread, the same is true. The days were set aside, Passover was set aside, and a Feast of Unleavened Bread for seven days, but there were also physical elements to that. It was during this festival, during Passover and the Days of Unleavened Bread, that a new covenant remembrance was set aside. And that was a remembrance of what we call now the Lord's Table, the Lord's Supper, or what we commonly call here as communion. Now, communion is absolutely rich in meaning. And we are very blessed that every week we, we take the time to go through communion, to take of the elements, to take of the bread and the juice, to remember what has been done on our behalf. And I think every week we do a fantastic job of helping people have introspection, to think about that. Whatever the message might have been that day, you'll notice that Aaron or Josiah or Dr. T or whomever is up here speaking will have us really dwell on what we've just heard, how that might apply to our lives as, as we go into the, the time of response. Because we do practices each week, though, it is occasionally a good idea to go deeper into what those elements mean and what they mean for us personally. And that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to answer primarily, uh, we're going to answer three questions. We're going to look at why Jesus instituted this new celebration. We're also going to look at how to do it. That might be a little different than what you're thinking. And then also who can partake of communion. 
But overall, the main thing we want, to, want you to get out of this, the big idea that, w- that we have for you today is to walk away with a renewed or a new appreciation for communion. Again, it's good to occasionally pause and take time to think about what we're doing so that it doesn't become routine and that it doesn't become a ritual. All right, so we're going to begin our time in, in Luke 22. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Luke 22, or if you have an app, you want to turn it on, you want to go to uh, that chapter in Luke. But let me give you some background on where we're at and, and, and what would have been going on in the minds of Jesus and the disciples at this time. So go back to the book of Exodus, second book in the Bible. You will read that Israel is in slavery in Egypt. They've been in, they've been in Egypt for 400 years, starting with Joseph. Joseph was, uh, went through a lot of different circumstances, was eventually number two in power. His family joins him there, and they are blessed to be there, and the Egyptians bless them. They know what a blessing that Joseph has been to them in sparing them from a great famine. They also grow in importance and in numbers, and later... When they were growing in, in their significance within the nation, there were pharaohs that didn't regard Joseph highly. They didn't regard the Israelites highly. So instead of honoring them, they oppressed them. They put them into slavery. And so God made a promise to the Israelites that he was going to give them the promised land. He made that actually to Abraham long ago. And to fulfill that promise, he was going to have to get them out of slavery. And the way he was going to do that was through a series of plagues. And you can go back and read in Exodus. It's, it's very interesting to go back and look at it on occasion that there were plagues of flies. There were pl- plagues of frogs, locusts, gnats. I mean, I spent 10 years in Louisiana, and I thought I had a plague of all of those things. Okay, and there, were, there was plenty of those to go around, never at, a, never at a plague level, but there were plenty of it, and that's one reason why I live in Colorado now. But there, there were these plagues that all led up to one last plague, one last devastation, which was every firstborn child in Egypt was going to die. And it says in Scripture that it was going to be from Pharaoh all the way down to the child of every slave and the child of every prisoner. So every firstborn in Egypt was going to die, except for the Israelites. And God gave them specific instructions. He said, you need to find a lamb that is without blemish. You're going to sacrifice that lamb, and I want you to take the blood and put it on the door frames of your homes. So on the top of the door and on each side of the door, you're to smear the blood. Go into your homes. I want you to be fully girded and ready to go. You need to have your sandals on and be ready to leave, but I want you to eat that lamb. I want you to eat bitter herbs as a remembrance of your bitter time as a slave and also have unleavened bread because there's not going to be time for the bread to rise. We're going to leave in haste. So in that context, that night at midnight, all of the firstborn in Egypt died from Pharaoh all the way down except for the Israelites, and that was because God passed over all of their dwellings, and that's where we get the term Passover. God passed over all the Israelites' homes, and none of them were impacted. We read in Exodus 12, 14, this is the day that you are to commemorate. For generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. And it's interesting that he said that before actually the firstborn died. He told them, I'm going to deliver you, and then you're going to celebrate it from year to year thereafter. So if we fast forward now to Jesus' time, okay? We're now going forward about 1,400 years. Jesus is about to keep his last Passover. And he's instructing Paul, I'm sorry, he's instructing Peter and John to prepare that Passover. He told them how to find the place to do it, and then they were to prepare it. And having grown up, in that tradition, they knew exactly what they needed to prepare for. So they were going to get the bread, they were going to get the, the wine, they were going to get the bitter herbs, and they were going to be ready to keep this Passover with Jesus. 
So that's where we pick it up here in Luke chapter 22, verse 14. He says, When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, take, take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. So there were four cups of wine that they would drink during a traditional Passover meal. This was one of them. Verse 19, he took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. So we see where Jesus is taking elements of Passover, things that they would have been very accustomed to seeing at this time, but he he gives new meaning to them. And we don't have a record of what the disciples thought or anything that they said when he was using these symbols in, in a new way. But you can be sure that they noticed that something was different. That he was taking this bread, he was taking this, this wine and applying absolute new meaning to it. We, we know that they didn't understand it because they still did not understand that Jesus was going to die for them. But they would have noticed that something was definitely different. So let's begin to answer the questions. And the first one is, Why would Jesus establish this new remembrance and celebration? Why would he go through the trouble of doing it? What's the the meaning and the purpose behind it? And there's there's a lot of them, but one of them in, in particular is to commemorate his death, to remember his death. We just read that in verse 19 where he says, Then he broke the bread into pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, in regard to the cup, if we look at 1 Corinthians 11, 25, and 26, this is from Paul writing to the Corinthians and things that he had received from Jesus' instructions. It says, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes. So Jesus wants us to remember his death. Our natural inclination when somebody dies is to remember their life, which is perfectly fine and good. But he wants us to remember his death. So when we look back at that, we have to we look back and think what Jesus went through, what he sacrificed. He gave his body, and he poured out his blood for us as a sacrifice. And It's good to take time and to think about the lengths to which he has gone to show his love for us. So again, one reason he established communion was to commemorate his death by remembering his body and that his blood was poured out as a sacrifice. The second reason is to celebrate and affirm the new covenant that was ratified by his blood. And this one maybe is not as obvious as the first because we have the bread to remind us, we have the blood to remind us of his body and the things that he went through, but we are actually celebrating a new covenant when we partake of communion. If we look at 1 Corinthians 11.25 again, it says, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. We don't have time to get into all the details of the, the old and the new covenant this morning. It's something that I happen to be passionate about 
it is very important in understanding and, and having a true understanding or a, a balanced understanding of Scripture. In fact, if you don't have a true understanding of, of the Old and New Covenant, you can oftentimes mix those two and end up creating legalism. There is a class coming up this fall at the end of September, starting just after mid-September. It's going to be talking about how to understand the Bible. It's going to be going through the covenants. You can also spend time in the book of Hebrews. It goes into Old and New Covenant extensively. And I, I would say spend some time even this weekend, this week, going through Hebrews chapters 8 through 10. And you might be amazed at, at what you read there. I just want to point out a couple of things, especially as we go in. And, and late, a little bit later, we're going to be taking communion. You could be thinking about this new covenant and what it means. But one of them is that it means freedom from sin, guilt, and shame. And the reason is, is under the old covenant, it was only a reminder of their sin. Every year, even every day with daily sacrifices and offerings, and certainly on these annual holy days, they would be reminded of their sin, but never freed from it. If we go to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, and then verse 12, it says, the old system under the law of Moses is only a shadow, a dim preview of good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped, for the worshipers would have been purified once for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And then in verse 12, but, and there's, when you see a but in Scripture, it's, it's a good thing to look at and to say, hey, but our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. The only way that we have perfect cleansing available to us is because Jesus gave his life for us. He was willing to take our sins upon himself to die for us so that we could be freed from that. And, and not just to say that we're free from sin, but actually to be free from guilt. If there's any other people out here like me that are perfectionists that, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a real perfectionist. I get upset even with the line, after I mow my yard if the lines aren't straight where the mower's been. Okay? If you're a perfectionist and maybe sometimes you've, you've been a little legalistic like I have been, it's easy to feel guilty. It's easy to, to carry that with you. And I'd say the first 12 years of, of me being a believer was really caught up in legalism and never feeling forgiven because I was only as good as the last thing that I did. But the last 25 to 27 years has been in grace and it's been understanding that there is complete freedom from guilt and shame. I love verse 12 when it says that then he sat down at the place of honor at God's right hand. He had his drop the mic moment. He said, it is, it is finished. He dropped the mic. Okay? That was that, just that one sacrifice for all time that was needed. So we can be thankful for the new covenant because of the freedom of sin and guilt and shame. But we can also be thankful that through it, we have a personal relationship with God. What do I mean by that? Well, if you, if you look back at the Old Covenant, they had to work through the priests. When they brought an offering, when they brought a sacrifice, they worked through the priest, and the priest represented the people before God. Even the high priest, so this, this is the, the, the chief guy, the high dude, the, the, the priest, okay, the, the high priest that would 
represent the people before God. He could only enter the Holy of Holies, the most holy place, and started in the tabernacle and later in the temple. He could enter it once a year on the Day of Atonement. And even to do that, he had to go through so many rituals just to kind of make himself worthy to go before him. And there was great trepidation in going before God and into the most holy place. But we read in Hebrews 10, 19, and 20, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. If you look at that word boldly, that's, that's with some confidence. That's with some assurance. That's not with pride, but it is with assurance that we can come before the most holy place. We can come before God in the most holy place, not a model of it, not a symbol of it, what the priest was able to do once a year, the high priest. We can go into the most holy place and have a personal relationship with God because of the blood of Jesus and the fact that by his death he opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain. If you remember the, the crucifixion story when Jesus died on the cross, the veil that separated the most holy place from uh, the other parts of the temple was the fact that it had a, a, that curtain and that veil there. That curtain was torn from top to bottom. And that opened the way for us into this personal relationship with God. And that's what we commemorate when we partake of communion. So the next question is, how do we celebrate or partake of communion? And I'm sure it's easy enough to figure out that, yes, you, you eat the bread and then you drink the juice, right? Okay, so we're finished with that point. No, the, the point here is how do we take it in terms of our posture, not physical posture, our spiritual posture or our emotional posture? How, how do we take it in regard to our attitude and, and what we're thinking, what's going on in our mind? Well, the answer to that is we need to take it with reverence, with introspection, and with gratitude. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 27 and 28, it says, Anyone who eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. If you look at this, this word about, in terms of about examining ourselves, that's that introspection. That's taking the opportunity to, to think about ourselves in an honest and, and sometimes a sober way, checking our attitudes. In fact, that, that word literally means checking out the genuineness of something. How genuine are we? And it says that Paul, Paul wrote that with, with the reason we need to examine ourselves is so we don't take the cup unworthily. I need you to hear this. We cannot make ourselves worthy to take of communion. That's not what it's talking about. It's not talking about our worthiness. It's talking about whether we are properly putting those symbols, the bread and the juice, into its proper perspective and understanding really what it means. Paul, if you look at the context of what he was doing here, he was, he was, in what he was writing, he was writing to people who were making a mockery of something that was sacred. And so the warning or the, the encouragement to us is that we would then would take the time to really think through things, that we would not come complacently, that we would come introspectively thinking about things and what these, what these symbols truly mean. So we're going to head into a, a time of response here in, in just a moment. And as we do that, I want to answer a third question for you, help us answer a third question. And that's, who can partake of communion? Who can take of communion? 
you know, when we take of the elements, we're affirming our faith in Jesus. We're affirming this, this new covenant that we have with him. In fact, if you remember what, what I read earlier in 1 Corinthians 11, it said, Paul wrote, and this is what he added. He said that when we do this, we're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. If we're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes, we're doing two things. One, he died for me, and I believe that he's coming back. Therefore, communion is for those who have surrendered their life to Jesus. For those who are followers of Jesus Christ, who have placed their faith and trust in him as, as, as their Lord and Savior. So any and all who have done that are welcome to partake of communion. Now, if that's, if that's not you yet, if you've not taken that step yet, of giving your faith and giving your trust to Jesus and placing your faith in him, now is the perfect time to do that. You know, you may have heard something today that, that caught your attention, or maybe it's a reminder of something that, that has been in your spirit, something that's been speaking to your mind for a while, that total forgiveness is available through Jesus, that we no longer have to have guilt and shame. Or you may hear that there's a personal relationship available to you because of what Jesus has done. Today, when we take some time for some introspection here, I would ask you to express that to God. Let him know that, that you know that his son bled and died for you, that he gave his life, that he took his sin, took your sin upon his shoulders, and you are now completely forgiven, and that you surrender your life. You're surrendering your life to his will and to his ways moving forward. And if you take that step today, we want to hear about it. We'd love for you to take the, the card that's in the seat back pocket in front of you, write down uh, the fact that you have taken that step today. We'd like to talk with you about other steps that you may want to take, but mostly we want to celebrate and come alongside of you in that journey. Now I realize that there's going to be some others here who have not taken that step yet, and they're not ready to do it. And that's perfectly fine. We are absolutely delighted and thankful that you're here. In fact, I'll go as far as to say, you know, we come to church each week to worship, but we're here to worship because we want you to come and to learn about Jesus. We want to remove every obstacle to get you to Jesus. And so if you're here and you're not ready to take that step, that's, that's fantastic. This is a safe place to continue processing that. And if you have questions that you need answered, feel free to stop by Next Steps After Church. You can come down and talk to me up front afterward if you want. We'd love to answer those questions and come alongside of you in that. But this is a safe place to do that. One thing I would ask of you, if you have not received Christ is your Lord and Savior yet. During this time of remembrance, during this time of taking communion, that, that you wouldn't take it. Wait until it's real. Wait until it is a commemoration of you placing your faith in Jesus as your Savior and entering this new covenant relationship. Now, when we take communion here in a moment, we're, we're going to give you a little bit extra time for some introspection to think through what we're going to do. During that time, you, you can pray, you can meditate, you can think about things. Also, we're going to ask that you would go and pick up an element, uh, the elements for communion. We have two tables on each side of the auditorium. There's also two tables in the back. We'd ask that you take those elements and bring them back and, and, and sit, and, but do not partake of them yet. We're going to take those together. Okay, so different than what we would do normally where we take it on our own, we're actually going to wait and do this together today. So to make sure everybody heard that, could I see some head nods that we're going to wait? Okay, all right. So we're going to do that together. Now, there's some other things that we do during this response time as well each week. You may be here, be here with some prayer requests and things that are weighing you down, some, something that you would like us to, to, to come alongside and to pray with you for. There are some tables in the back that have pens and cards that you can write out, write out a prayer request. 
and you can take that by next steps afterward. You could ask for prayer today, or certainly the staff prays over those each week on Mondays, and you can know that they're going to be praying. So I would encourage you to do that. There's also opportunities for those that came prepared to give today, and if you want to give uh, an offering, there, there are two uh, containers at the back of the doors, one on each side of the doors. You can just drop that into, into that container. And, of course, you always have the option for our Trace family here. You have the option of, of giving online uh, through the app or through the website. And thank you so much for giving to the mission, uh, the Great Commission, uh, through, through Trace Church. So I'm going to pray here in just a moment. And, again, I want to remind you, during this time, think about the elements. Think about the body. Think about the blood. Think about the new covenant. Spend some time, this thin space with God. Be sure and pick up the elements of communion at one of the tables. Come back to your seat, and, but just wait. We're going to take it together. Okay? Let's pray. Our Father God in heaven, we, we come to you this morning grateful. We all happen to live in this, this nation where we have freedom to come and to worship without fear, and we're thankful for that. I want to thank you for the worship team and enabling us to really think deeply about you as we sing, and, and, and we're singing truth, and that truth comes back to us as well. It's, it's like it fills us because we're, we're declaring truth, and so thank you for that. We thank you for this opportunity to respond through communion. Lord, I pray that you would help us now as we think deeply through what this means. You, you paid a great price, and we're so thankful that you did. I pray that you would bless this time and that you would work in it. And it's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.